section twelve of little journeys to the homes of great businessmen this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. little journeys to the homes of great businessmen by albert hubbard john j astor part two captain cook had skirted the pacific coast from cape horn to alaska and had brought to the attention of the fur-dealing and fur-wearing world the sea-otter of the northern pacific he also gave a psychological prophetic glimpse of the insidious sealskin sack in seventeen hundred ninety a ship from the pacific brought a hundred otter-skins to new york the skins were quickly sold to london buyers at exorbitant prices the nobility wanted sea otter or royal american ermine as they called it the scarcity boomed the price ships were quickly fitted out and dispatched boats bound for the whale fisheries were diverted and new bedford had a spasm of jealousy astor encouraged these fur-seeking expeditions but at first declined to invest any money in them as he considered them extra hazardous he was not a speculator astor lived over his store in water street until the year eighteen hundred when he moved to the plain and modest house at two hundred twenty three broadway on the site of the old astor house here he lived for twenty-five years the fur business was simple and very profitable astor now was confining himself mostly to beaver skins he fixed the price at one dollar to be paid to the indians or trappers it cost fifty cents to prepare and transport the skin to london there it was sold at from five to ten dollars all the money received for skins was then invested in english merchandise which was sold in new york at a profit in eighteen hundred astor owned three ships which he had bought so as absolutely to control his trade ascertaining that london dealers were reshipping furs to china early in the century he dispatched one of his ships directly to the orient loaded with furs with explicit written instructions to the captain as to what the cargo should be sold for the money was to be invested in teas and silks the ship sailed away and had been gone a year no tidings had come from her suddenly a messenger came with the news that the ship was in the bay we can imagine the interest of mr and mrs astor as they locked their store and ran to the battery sure enough it was their ship riding gently on the tide snug strong and safe as when she had left the profit on this one voyage was seventy thousand dollars by eighteen hundred ten john jacob astor was worth two million dollars he began to invest all his surplus money in new york real estate he bought acreage property in the vicinity of canal street next he bought richmond hill the estate of aaron burr it consisted of one hundred sixty acres just above twenty-third street he paid for the land a thousand dollars an acre people said astor was crazy in ten years he began to sell lots from the richmond hill property at the rate of five thousand dollars an acre 
fortunately for his estate he did not sell much of the land at this price for it is this particular dirt that makes up that vast property known as the astor estate during the revolutionary war roger morris of putnam county new york made the mistake of siding with the tories a mob collected and morris and his family escaped taking ship to england before leaving morris declared his intention of coming back as soon as the insurrection was quelled roger morris never came back roger morris is known in history as the man who married mary phillips and this lady lives in history because she had the felicity of being proposed to by george washington george himself tells us of this in his journal and george you will remember could not tell a lie george was twenty-five he was on his way to boston and was entertained at the phillips house the plaza not having been built mary was twenty pink and lissome immediately after supper george finding himself alone in the parlor with the girl proposed he was an opportunist the lady pleaded for time which the father of his country declined to give he was a soldier and demanded immediate surrender a small quarrel followed and george saddled his horse and rode on his way to fame and fortune mary thought he would come back but george never proposed to the same lady twice yet he thought kindly of mary and excused her conduct by recording i think ye lady was not in ye mood just twenty-two years after this bout with cupid general george washington commander-in-chief of the continental army occupied the roger morris mansion as headquarters the occupants having fled washington had a sly sense of humor and on the occasion of his moving into the mansion remarked to colonel aaron burr his aide i move in here for sentimental reasons i have a small and indirect claim on the place it was washington who formally confiscated the property and turned it over to the state of new york as contraband of war the morris estate of about fifty thousand acres was parcelled out and sold by the state of new york to settlers it seems however that roger morris had only a life interest in the estate and this was a legal point so fine that it was entirely overlooked in the joy of confiscation washington was a great soldier but an indifferent lawyer john jacob astor accidentally ascertained the facts he was convinced that the heirs could not be robbed of their rights through the acts of a leaseholder which legally was the status of roger morris astor was a good real estate lawyer himself but he referred the point to the best counsel he could find they agreed with him he next hunted up the heirs and bought their quick claims for one hundred thousand dollars he then notified the parties who had purchased the land and they in turn made claim upon the state for protection after much legal parleying the case was tried according to stipulation with the state of new york directly as defendant and astor and the occupants as plaintiffs daniel webster and martin van buren appeared for the state 
and an array of lesser legal lights for aster the case was narrowed down to the plain and simple point that roger morris was not the legal owner of the estate and that the rightful heirs could not be made to suffer for the treason contumacy and contravention of another aster won and as a compromise the state issued him twenty-year bonds bearing six per cent interest for the neat sum of five hundred thousand dollars not that aster needed the money but finance was to him a game and he had won in front of the first a t stewart store there used to be an old woman who sold apples regardless of weather there she sat and mumbled her wares at the passer-by she was a combination beggar and merchant with a blundering wit a ready tongue and a vocabulary unfit for publication her commercial genius is shown in the fact that she secured one good-paying customer alexander t stewart stewart grew to believe in her as his spirit of good luck once when bargains had been offered at the stewart store and the old woman was not at her place on the curb the merchant prince sent his carriage for her in hot haste lest offence be given and the day was saved when the original store was abandoned for the stewart palace the old apple woman with her box basket and umbrella was tenderly taken along too john jacob astor had no such belief in luck omens portents or mascots as had a t stewart with him success was a sequence a result it was all cause and effect a t stewart did not trust entirely to luck for he too carefully devised and planned but the difference between the celtic and the teutonic mind is shown in that stewart hoped to succeed while astor knew that he would one was a bit anxious the other exasperatingly placid astor took a deep interest in the lewis and clark expedition he went to washington to see lewis and questioned him at great length about the northwest legend says that he gave the hardy discoverer a thousand dollars which was a big amount for him to give away once a committee called on him with a subscription list for some worthy charity astor subscribed fifty dollars one of the disappointed committee remarked oh mr astor your son william gave us a hundred dollars yes said the old man but you must remember that william has a rich father washington irving has told the story of astoria at length it was the one financial plunge taken by john jacob astor and in spite of the fact that it failed the whole affair does credit to the prophetic brain of astor this country will see a chain of growing and prosperous cities straight from new york to astoria oregon said this man in reply to a doubting questioner he laid his plans before congress urging a line of army posts forty miles apart from the western extremity of lake superior to the pacific these forts or army posts will evolve into cities said astor when he called on thomas jefferson who was then president of the united states jefferson was interested but non-committal astor exhibited maps of the great lakes and the country beyond 
he argued with a prescience then not possessed by any living man that at the western extremity of lake superior would grow up a great city yet in eighteen hundred seventy six duluth was ridiculed by the caustic tongue of proctor knott who asked what will become of duluth when the lumber crop is cut astor proceeded to say that another great city would grow up at the southern extremity of lake michigan general dearborn secretary of war under jefferson had just established fort dearborn on the present site of chicago astor commended this and said from a fort you get a trading post and from a trading post you will get a city he pointed out to jefferson the site on his map of the falls of st anthony there you will have a fort some day for wherever there is water power there will grow up mills for grinding grain and sawmills as well this place of power will have to be protected and so you will have there a post which will eventually be replaced by a city yet fort snelling was nearly fifty years in the future and st paul and minneapolis were dreams undreamed jefferson took time to think about it and then wrote astor thus your beginning of a city on the western coast is a great acquisition and i look forward to a time when our population will spread itself up and down along the whole pacific frontage unconnected with us except by ties of blood and common interest and enjoying like us the rights of self-government the pilgrim fathers thought land that lay inward from the sea was valueless the forest was an impassable barrier later up to the time of george washington the alleghanies were regarded as a natural barrier patrick henry likened the allegheny mountains to the alps that separated italy from germany and said the mountain ranges are lines that god has set to separate one people from another later statesmen have spoken of the ocean in the same way as proof that a union of all countries under an international capital could never exist great as was jefferson he regarded the achievement of lewis and clark as a feat and not an example he looked upon the rocky mountains as a natural separation of peoples bound by ties of blood and mutual interest but otherwise unconnected to pierce these mighty mountains with tunnels and whisper across them with the human voice were of course miracles as yet unguessed but astor closed his eyes and saw great pack-trains mules laden with skins winding across these mountains and down to tidewater at astoria there his ships would be lying at the docks ready to sail for the far east james j hill was yet to come a company was formed and two expeditions set out for the mouth of the columbia river one by land and the other by sea the land expedition barely got through alive it was a perilous undertaking with accidents by flood and field and in the imminent deadly breach but the route by the water was feasible the town was founded and soon became a centre of commercial activity had astor been on the ground to take personal charge a city like seattle would have bloomed and blossomed on the pacific fifty years ago 
but power at astoria was subdivided among several little men who wore themselves out in a struggle for honors and to see who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven john jacob astor was too far away to send a current of electricity through the vacuum of their minds light up the recesses with reason and shock them into sanity like those first settlers at jamestown the pioneers at astoria saw only failure ahead and that which we fear we bring to pass to settle a continent with men is almost as difficult as nature's attempt to form a soil on a rocky surface there came a grand grab at astoria and it was each for himself and the devil take the hindmost it was a stampede system and order went by the board the strongest stole the most as usual but all got a little and england's gain in citizens was our loss astor lost a million dollars by the venture he smiled calmly and said the plan was right but my men were weak that is all the gateway to china will be from the northwest my plans were correct time will vindicate my reasoning when the block on broadway bounded by vesey and barclay streets was cleared of its plain two-story houses preparatory to building the astor house wise men shook their heads and said it's too far uptown but the free bus that met all boats solved the difficulty and gave the cue to hotel men all over the world the hotel that runs full is a gold mine hungry men feed and the beautiful part about the hotel business is that the customers are hungry the next day also thirsty astor was worth ten millions but he took a personal delight in sitting in the lobby of the astor house and watching the dollars roll into this palace that his brain had planned to have an idea to watch it grow to then work it out and see it made manifest in concrete substance this was his joy the astor house was a bigger hostelry in its day than the waldorf astoria is now astor was tall thin and commanding in appearance he had only one hallucination and that was that he spoke the english language the accent he possessed at thirty was with him in all its pristine effulgence at eighty-five no potty would know i vas a chairman ain't it so he used to say he spoke french a dash of spanish and could parley in choctaw ottawa mohawk and huron but they who speak several languages must not be expected to speak any one language well yet when john jacob wrote it was english without a flaw in all his dealings he was uniquely honorable and upright he paid and he made others pay his word was his bond he was not charitable in the sense of indiscriminate giving to give something for nothing is to weaken the giver was one of his favorite sayings that this attitude protected a miserly spirit it is easy to say but it is not wholly true in his later years he carried with him a book containing a record of his possessions this was his breviary in it he took a very pardonable delight he would visit a certain piece of property and then turn to his book and see what it had cost him ten or twenty years before 
to realize that his prophetic vision had been correct was to him a great source of satisfaction his habits were of the best he went to bed at nine o'clock and was up before six at seven he was at his office he knew enough to eat sparingly and to walk so he was never sick millionaires as a rule are woefully ignorant up to a certain sum they grow with their acquisitions then they begin to wither at the heart the care of a fortune is a penalty i advise the gentle reader to think twice before accumulating ten millions john jacob astor was exceptional in his combined love of money and love of books history was at his tongue's end and geography was his plaything fitz green halleck was his private secretary hired on a basis of literary friendship washington irving was a close friend too and first crossed the atlantic on an astor pass he banked on washington irving's genius and loaned him money to come and go and buy a house irving was named in astor's will as one of the trustees of the astor library fund and repaid all favors by writing astoria astor died aged eighty-six it was a natural death a thing that very seldom occurs the machinery all ran down at once realizing his lack of book advantages he left by his will four hundred thousand dollars to found the astor library in order that others might profit where he had lacked he also left fifty thousand dollars to his native town of waldorf a part of which money was used to found an astor library there god is surely good for if millionaires were immortal their money would cause them great misery and the swollen fortunes would crowd mankind not only against the wall but into the sea death is the deliverer for time checks power and equalizes all things and gives the new generation a chance astor hated gamblers he never confused gambling as a mode of money-getting with actual production he knew that gambling produces nothing it merely transfers wealth changes ownership and since it involves loss of time and energy it is a positive waste yet to buy land and hold it thus betting on its rise in value is not production either nevertheless this was to astor legitimate and right henry george threw no shadow before and no economist had ever written that to secure land and hold it unused awaiting a rise in value was a dog in the manger unethical and selfish policy morality is a matter of longitude and time astor was a member of the dutch reformed church and yet he lived out his days with a beautiful and perfect disbelief in revealed religion he knew enough of biology to know that religions are not revealed they are evolved yet he recognized the value of the church as a social factor to him it was a good police system and so when rightly importuned he gave with becoming moderation to all faiths and creeds a couple of generations back in his ancestry there was a renegade jew who loved a christian girl and thereby molted his religion 
when cupid crosses swords with a priest religion gets a death stroke this stream of free blood was the inheritance of john jacob astor william b astor the son of john jacob was brought up in the financial way he should go he was studious methodical conservative and had the good sense to carry out the wishes of his father his son john jacob astor was very much like him only of more neutral tint the time is now ripe for another genius in the astor family if william b astor lacked the courage and initiative of his parent he had more culture and spoke english without an accent the son of john jacob astor's second is william waldorf astor who speaks english with an english accent you know john jacob astor besides having the first store for the sale of musical instruments in america organized the first orchestra of over twelve players he brought over a leader from germany and did much to foster the love of music in the new world every worthy mycenas imagines that he is a great painter writer sculptor or musician sidetracked by material cares thrust upon him by unkind fate john jacob astor once told washington irving that it was only business responsibility that prevented his being a novelist and at other times he declared his intent to take up music as a profession as soon as he had gotten all of his securities properly tied up and whether john jacob worked out his dreams or not there is no doubt that they added to his peace happiness and length of days happy indeed is the man who escapes the critics by leaving his literary masterpiece in the ink End of section 12.